Thank you. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and a very warm welcome on this cold night. My name is Nicolette Jones, and among other things, I'm the children's books editor of the Sunday Times. And uh, I'm absolutely delighted to step upon these hallowed boards and discuss the staging of a delightful story tonight. Uh, it's also exciting at the end of the National Theatre's 50th birthday year, um, which has celebrated such triumphant adaptations of children's books as Coram Boy, War Horse, a curious incident of the dog in the night time, to be here to discuss the National Theatre's latest, Carl Miller's adaptation of Erich Kestner's Emil and the Detectives, um, with Carl and with the director, Bijan Shebani. A word or two about them. Carl Miller trained as a director, but in fact has written 19 plays, is that right? Oh, about I, 19, when I, I counted. Um, several of them are adaptations of children's books, including a couple of favourites of mine, Siobhan Dowd's The London Eye Mystery and uh, Eva Ibbotson's Journey to the River Sea, both for the Unicorn Theatre. Uh, Bijan Shebani is an associate director of the National Theatre. He directed War Horse for its US tour and, um, and his plays for the National Theatre uh, include Romeo and Juliet, um, and uh, John uh, and um, Wesker's The Kitchen, um, which was a fantastic balletic tour de force, um, and he won an Olivier Award in 2008. I'm going to ask you first both uh, what it is that uh, you think is the enduring appeal of a story like Emil and the Detectives. Why does it still work when it was written in Germany in 1929? I think for me, the heart of it is children solving something, children taking agency. And it was one of the things that made the story distinctive when it was first written. And it's the thing that great children's writers, Philip Pullman, Michael Rosen, love about it. The fact that children run the story. It's not just a story about child characters. It's a story in which child characters make something happen and run the whole, run the whole show. Yes, indeed, and, that, and, and child power has an yes. eternal appeal. I think that's right. In fact, you, um, what do you think about it, Bijan? What appealed to you when you saw, first saw the script? I really loved how um, Emile was going on not just a physical journey, but a psychological one. And I loved how the two types of journeys sat side by side. So he goes you know, from his very um, protected, warm, loving home in a very small town to a huge city full of unknowns, full of people um, that he's never uh, experienced other than in movies. And um, in that way, he's um, growing up very fast. I thought that was very interesting. So and it is a story about growing up, really, isn't it? And about growing away from your mother. And it's brilliant that, it, that although it's a contemporary story and what was, was radical about it in 1929 was that you had this story that was set in the world now. It was set in a world with telephones and taxis. It wasn't in a fairy tale enchanted forest. But I think underlying the story is a core fairy tale structure. You're in a safe home and then you go into the deep dark wood, the dangerous yes. place where things can happen. And what Kessner does brilliantly is to make that the modern city. So I think there's an underlying thing which you can see working in kind of fairy tales throughout history. But what the book does is to go, here is a 20th century way 
of telling of, of, of telling that archetypal story. And you brought that out very much in your adaptation, and also in this in the scenery itself. The very first scene makes Emil's mother's hairdressing shop look like something out of a fairy tale. It has a definite kind of Grimm's fairy tale look about it, doesn't it? And then later in the the, the deep dark wood, as you say, of this of the city is partly the street lamps and so on. Um, instead of trees. It feels, <coughs> feels like a, a place of dark paths. How much did you talk to Bunny Christie, the designer, about what you wanted the look of it to be and what you wanted the themes to be before you began? We ran a number of workshops at the studio here. Um, and Bunny w was part of those workshops. So there's a huge amount of material and ideas and visual references went into the pot from films and art and um, contemporary uh, literature would all pour into that. And it, it didn't come straight away what, what would hold the whole story, because the story doesn't really stand still for longer than a minute or two. So you're constantly changing location. So we knew that one of the main challenges would be, how do you swiftly move? How do you do a chase through a city? Yes. Um, something that you might be able to imagine very easily in working in film doesn't necessarily translate that easily to stage. So we knew we were looking for something that was simple, but it also had to be something that would be uh, evocative of all these different locations. And we also wanted to evoke the era. In 1929, Berlin is such an interesting and rich place and time. And um, there's so many brilliant films and brilliant pieces of artwork that, that we knew would be useful to um, helping us um, design the show. So there was a lot of conversations and a lot of um, research that went into this. But we always knew we were aiming for something that, that seemed fairly simple. It's interesting what you say about the different sources of it. As you say, you can see silent movies in the influences. You can see um, German Expressionism, you see George Gross paintings, so that in fact, very interestingly for a children's play, you do have some strangely clad men in ladies' stockings and suspenders and so on in the back, um, so it does have the feeling of that slightly decadent uh, vision of Germany that we see from paintings and films and so on. So you've added this element of what we know of the context, haven't you, to what was originally in the book and enriched it in that way. Yeah, because they, they, I mean, they lose Mr. Snow just around the corner from Christopher Isherwood. I mean, literally. Ah. So when we went on our sort of fact-finding trip to Berlin, we were looking around the locations where, where Emil and the, the children are, and Christopher Isherwood's flat is literally around the corner. So those, those bars, those places that we know from, from that account of Weimar are the ones, are the context. And if you read... Uh, Kessner's uh, novel Fabian, Going to the Dogs, which is roughly contemporary, it's an adult novel, but essentially it's the same, it's some of the same themes as Emil, but played out for a, a man in his 20s who's, you know, getting involved in, you know, bisexual artist shootouts, um, which we, d we didn't include uh, entirely in this book. <laughs> I, th I think that... Yes. that Obviously, one of the things that the original audience would have been doing is they'd have known the world. They'd have known 1929 Berlin. So somehow we've got to create 1929 Berlin for an audience who maybe don't know it. 
or, or don't know everything that might be important? I mean, is it one of the things, sorry. Yeah, well, do you think that uh, because, as you say, the context would have been known, the dangers of the city would have been evident and implicit to the audience, the idea of a boy coming from the country. You've put it back into your adaptation so that you spell out the sense that it really is a rather louche environment. Mrs. Worth yes. uh, worries about it, doesn't she? Um, much more than she, in fact, does in the book. Yes, it felt important that people were going, Berlin, that's, mm. ooh, you want to be careful about um, what happens there. And I think also another big issue that, com that came up really when we started uh, doing some of the workshops with the children in schools that turned into the recruitment for the detectives is that the attitude of, ch of children to adults and the relationship, the authority relationships, are different. Mm -hmm. That actually what you're looking at is a, is a society where children are you know, routinely beaten, where obedience to adults is an absolute uh, you know, rule. And I think it's important without that, that we enter into that world, that we understand uh, that Emil can't assume that if he, if he tells the truth, people will have sympathy for him, that he worries, um, as you'll see uh, if you're coming to see the play, that he worries that he's in trouble with the authorities. He has a, he has a wonderful relationship uh, with his mother, but it's complicated by the fact that um, they're not a, they're not a, a kind of freewheeling North London family. Yes. They live in a, a little town in, uh, in Germany in the 1920s. And so actually they, they don't sit around talking about their feelings a lot. Um, so, you know, you, and you, you want to try and make the difference of that world feel vivid. And one of the wonderful things is about how you can use all the languages of of theatre to make that world come alive. Yes, we'll come to that in a moment. I just wanted to come back to the idea of all these children and their, the freedom that they have. Uh, you referred to what you got from the workshops. What did you learn from the children? You had three casts of about 50 kids. You must have spent a lot, a lot of time engaging with them and getting feedback from them. Did they change the nature of the play? One of the big questions early on was how do we rehearse three teams of children? Um, that, that was quite a practical question, I suppose, mm -hmm. but it turned out to be um, not just a practical one because um, we found fairly early on that, the, that, that they were learning a lot from each other. S unusually, you have three people playing one part and um, they would really respond to each other's performances and, and I would get three different interpretations and I would then be able to pick you know, the one aspect of that performance that I liked and I'd, you know, the other two would then see that and want to mm -hmm. emulate it because it was getting a really good reaction in the room. Yes. So they were, they, were, they were really helping one another actually and that was interesting just how much they would learn from, from each other. So they learned as actors, but did they also learn, did you learn things about the way children interact from watching them? Were there things that came out of their behavior that ended up in the play? Yeah, I suppose, it, suppose so. Very early previews, as tends to be with all my shows, were very slow and there were a lot of pauses and um, by the end, by now, I think it moves extremely fast. And um, when I'd see the children in breaks, you know, they'd be talking over each other. They wouldn't be, you know, really patiently listening and, and then... Waiting and then for their cue. Waiting for their cue, no. <laughs> so we, we, 
I just said, you know how you all are in breaks? And they were like, yeah, yeah. I was like, you need to do that. And that worked. Um, I was also delighted with how fast they learn. We made some changes to some scenes during previews, and I said to one of them, oh, do you think you might be ready soon to do this new version? And he was like, oh, yeah, I've learned it. Which version do you want? I've got both. <laughs> I was like, OK. Um, Great. Fantastic, fantastic. So they were very impressive. I want to mm. come back to this question of the, of the theatricality that you mentioned. Um, obviously, when you take a play from the page to the stage, there's, there are all kinds of opportunities that you don't have. Um, just, you know, the drama and the creativity happens in your head. Um, but you break through the fourth wall, you let the children out into the audience. What sort of things did you... Th did you want to run with? What, what do you want to do when you change a book into theatre? What are the things you're looking for? I think one of the exciting things about what we knew we were building towards um, as the story goes on is this sense that children become more empowered, take up more space, and you, you, I hope that that's something that you'll feel as you watch the show, the way that uh, the young performers become more present as you go on. So I suppose that, that sense of how physically the, uh, the stage space and beyond becomes filled with, with young people was, was important. And it, and it also felt important that some of the joy and pleasure of reading the book would be what you would get from coming to a show. So I suppose um, uh, one of the things uh, that, that I've learned from watching a lot of young people in audiences is how engaged and how committed they'll be to a range of theatrical languages. So one of the things that's brilliant about the production is that it works visually, it works physically with the, the physical movement. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, it tells the story verbally. And I think there's something about using those different theatre languages, which actually allows roots in for different children who respond in different ways to it. So I think that makes it, um, I hope, uh, uh, a very young person-friendly show, as well as a, a show that is accessible um, to people of any age. In a way, although we have a very strong sense of the time and the place, the children feel quite modern. The children seem to interact with each other in, in quite a, um, a recognisable way. Were you conscious of making them, I mean, for instance, the girl in the book is quite um, a sort of little model housewife um, in the original. You put lots of girls in it, and you turn them into quite sort of feisty, interesting characters. Um, were you conscious of trying to make it more of our time? Well, through the casting process, um, we started to learn more about the characters, and um, that was by meeting you know, children who would come in and read, and you start to go, oh, okay, so the professor's that kind of child, or Toots is that kind of child, or Emil is that kind of child. Um, but we've got three of each, so we'd have three slightly different Emils, but they've all got kind of similar spirit, and the Tootses have all got a similar spirit, I would say. So I, my view was always that we wouldn't be trying to get these children to pretend to be... Um, someone that's a very long way away from who they are, but it was mm -hmm. to, to harness who they are and get them to really like share themselves. 
I mean, I, I, think, I think that is, for me, why the performances work in this. Yes, I agree. Because you feel like you're getting not only to meet that character, but that child. And um, yeah, I think that was, that was for me, the only, what was only ever going to be the way to make these characters really come alive. Um, and you know, they're modern children. Most of them are from London. So that in itself was useful because most of the characters in the play are from Berlin. And, and a lot of the people that will be coming to see the play will, be, uh, will have experience of what it's like to live in a very busy modern city. So we wanted people to feel like this story was still relevant now. And although I think we've taken out any sort of very modern things that they were doing, um, there are still, there is still a modern spirit to it, but that was always meant to be. Yes. Um, when you, uh, you were talking earlier about uh, some of the themes that you developed, you actually changed the plot a bit as well. Now, if we can do this without spoiling the plot for the audience here. Um, one of the scenes that you added in uh, presents Emil with a moral dilemma which is not actually in the book. You make a confrontation between the hero and the villain that isn't there. So you stress the moral um, possibilities of the plot. What was the thinking there? I think it felt important that we dramatized some of the stuff that was implicit in the story. And I think that scene is part of a strand which is, for me, very much to do with the relationship between uh, Emil and his mother and that was uh, very early on both from reading the book and feeling what was important in the book but also from reading other work by Kessner and reading about his life it was absolutely clear that there's an awful lot about Emil which is also um, about Eric Kessner's uh, experience of, of his childhood of his relationship with his mother Eric Kessner's mother was a hairdresser at home in a, a German provincial town. Um, he was devoted to her, remained devoted to her throughout his life. And the, the complexity of that relationship was one that felt richly there in Emil and felt it was, it was an important strand that was to do with why he does what he does. So, so that, so that a lot of the changes in the, in the narrative, I suppose for me, are about trying to get closer to something that feels true to the book. So I hope that what, um, what he'd feel uh, were he to come and see it is that it's something which is very true to the world and the characters that he was trying to create rather than, rather than trying to change it for the sake of change. He does rebel, though, more than he does in the book. There's a moment of rebellion. And that ties in with what Bijan was saying about it being the process of growing up. Because ultimately, he has to choose between his mother and his new friends, which is very much what that stage of growing up is about, whether it's your peers and your world or the home that you came from. So that rebellion moment is very interesting because, the, because he's such a goody-goody in, in Kessner's book. He doesn't ever do anything except... The thing that yes, he worries about at the beginning. Exactly, and I and I think there's something about about I suppose yes, trying to to make the the dilemma for that for that character clear, the fact that and as uh, as one of the other children explains at the end, 
that you could see it uh, as just a story about chasing some money. Yes. But it's not just a story about chasing some money, it's a story um, about some very deep relationships. And I think that's what the sort of archi the archetype of it is. I think there's something about what we all go through. And, it, and it's also a, a, a story which maybe feels different if you're sitting there as a parent and if you're sitting there as a child. Because I think in the, in what the scene that you're talking about, um, if the, if the adult gets her way, it's a disaster because the story doesn't, so the adult is going, the story should finish now. Yes. And the child is, you know, the children on, in the story and I expect the children in the audience are going, no, we've, you know, we can't stop here. We've got to see this through. One so of I the glories of the play is that it's a story that children might actually know better or at least know as well as no, adults do. And that's why it's so appealing, I think, as a, as a children's show. One of the things that's also clear is that you bring out, you say it's a story about these archetypes and these central characters, but it's also a story about the political context and the social context of it, which are brought out. We have a sense of what Germany was at the time, the divisions between rich and poor, between Emil and his friend, the professor, their different backgrounds. And there's also, of course, an implication of what's going on politically in Germany at the time. Tell us about what you wanted to do with that. I suppose, I mean, the, I suppose if we were, we were looking at this story retrospectively, knowing that World War II happened 10 years later, so it felt almost impossible to just ignore that that was coming. Um, I think the references that we've placed in there are fairly subtle but strong at the same time. We haven't, I certainly didn't want to make um, the emergence of Nazis more important than this little boy having lost his 140 marks. Mm. I think that there was a I did, I did have strike. one draft where it all got, the sort of Nazis arrived at the end <laughs> of Act One and, and it just felt like actually we had a lot, you know, we were telling the wrong story. Yeah. So I think that that balance of having, because we can't, but we can't unknow it. If you look at the 1931 film, you're looking at these kids. So there's a, there's a film, a terrific film of the, of the story filmed in 1931 that Billy Wilder did the screenplay for. And, and we know that terrible things are going to happen to these children, these actual children who are playing these parts. So I think, I think the boy who played Emil was shot down as a Luftwaffe pilot over, over Ireland. So you, we can't not know that. And it's interesting to me that the, the, the German films, there, there's a, there was a remake in the 50s, uh, and there was one about 10 years ago, and they've always updated it. Mm -hmm. uh, because I think it's a very painful time to go back to. Yeah. But, but we talked quite early on about the fact that there's also something about going back to an innocent time. Mm -hmm. So there's a, there's, a, there's a sense in which we know that that world was innocent in a way that we now can't be because we've gone through the horrors of but the Second you, World but War. you planted the seeds in it. You have a policeman with black boots uh, who suggests, who sort of prefigures what's going to happen, and an implication that the professor is the wrong kind of person. Um, an outsider. People, nobody ever says the word Jew, but people do say he's a foreigner. You know what? Yeah. He's cosmopolitan. He's there. So there's it, it's nothing to disturb children who don't know enough 
but just an implication for the audience mm. to do. And of course, one of the things that was interesting was that that book was burnt by the mm. Nazis. Emil and the Detectives was burnt. Now, what, do you think it was subversive enough? It's a very strange thing that this, what now seems to us quite innocent children's story, should have been held by the Nazis to be so dangerous. I think what was dangerous was that Kessner believed in, he was a humanist. I mean, he wasn't a, he wasn't a communist. He wasn't a, a card-carrying um, kind of leftist. But he happened to believe that people should be humane towards each other. And as far as the Nazis were concerned, that was enough to get his books burned. He wasn't allowed to publish in Germany. Um, he stayed uh, to be with his family. Um, but where, when you know, he wasn't able to work, he was living under kind of in incredible privations, and then went on to become a sort of witness for, for post-war Germany um, as someone who had tried to hold on to, to certain values. And I think one of the things that he talks about is that he felt that the, the seeds of what went wrong for the country were in its education system that he felt that his generation had been educated by rote, they'd been educated um, militaristically, they'd been educated to obey, mm. and that, that that obedience and that rote learning had made it impossible for some people when faced with authority telling them to do things which at some level they knew were wrong, mm. that it made it very difficult for them to resist. So I think yes. that, although maybe to us, he doesn't seem... Uh, a radical, dangerous uh, writer. I think if, if to authoritarians and to people who actually don't believe that children should have agency, um, he's incredibly subversive. And I think that, you know, and, and although a lot of things have changed, and I think you know, we can see lots of ways in which um, the relationship between adults and children has changed, it's still true even in this city, that there will be children who are not being listened to, mm. whose hurt and whose suffering is being ignored just because of their age. Yes, and both of you, in both the adaptation and the direction, have put that back into it. The political circumstances, the rebellion, the, the importance of listening to children, which, yeah. of course, is a wonderful message to put across both to the adults and to the children in the audience. I'm afraid we have run out of time. Um, thank you very much for your attention, and huge congratulations both to Bijan and to Carl for making a wonderful play, which I hope those of you who haven't seen it will enjoy as much as I did. I'm sure you will. And thank you very much to them and to you for a wonderful evening. Thank you. Thank you.